Hey guys, this is Beth and welcome to the People Who See podcast. We ask questions often avoided and listen to stories often unheard. We believe great stories and great questions allow us to see our faith differently. Thank you for joining the conversation. Let's dive in. Hey guys, we're back. (laughs) Welcome back to the People Who See podcast, where you get all your unhinged content. All of it. This is the only place you get unhinged content. The only place. (laughs) Um, I am Beth, and this is Esther. Hey guys. And our amazing third co-host is not with us in this moment, but let's just give a shout out to Melissa Grand, without whom none of this would be possible. Yeah, this she is our possible. angel of the day every day without fail. <laughs> Guys, we are still in season 2.5, the never ending season of 2.5, which will come to an end one day. So stay tuned for more announcements about the official launch of season three. Wow, wow, wow. We've got some really good stuff coming your way. But in the meantime, Esther, take it away. Who do we have the honor of interviewing for today's episode? I'm so excited about this. Today we are bringing you an interview with Chris Haugen. Chris is a Sioux Falls native. He has a wife named Heidi and four children. And he has spent his career serving the community in multiple capacities, ranging from public school teacher to his current job of mortgage banker. I mean, look at the range. The range, honestly. Um, But through it all, he has spent 20 years working for local churches, mostly as a full-time pastor or worship leader. And Beth, why don't you tell our lovely audience why we knew we had to interview Chris? So we, Esther and I, I specifically read this Facebook post that Chris wrote and insert all of the emotions. It was incredibly powerful. And we knew that we wanted Chris to just unpack that article on the pod. Um, And so you might cry. You might, you'll probably laugh at some points like we did, but it was such an honor to sit in here and pull back some of the layers of Chris's story um, around his context and being in ministry. Esther, what else would you say? Um, So if you were curious about what Chris wrote on this Facebook post, um, it's actually linked in our show notes to our blog page. Um, So I wrote a little bit. I shared what Chris wrote, and then I shared sort of our reflection on it about why it was so meaningful to us and why we felt like we had to share it with all of you because he just so perfectly articulated these feelings that so many of us feel around deconstructing, reconstructing, evolving faith. So we hope you enjoy it. We hope it makes you feel less alone. Check out the show notes. And without further ado, here's Chris. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for being here. Um, We really love to start off our interviews by lobbing up a softball (laughs) because we love an open-ended question um so tell us your story and you can take that in whatever direction you please so all right my my story 
Uh, I grew up in Sioux Falls and have lived in Sioux Falls, South Dakota my whole life. And when it comes to church, I grew up going to church every single week. And uh, I would say anybody who knew my family, we were like the family that was in rows two and three on the front left of the church sanctuary every Sunday. I turned around one day in church and I told my parents that I love Jesus and I'm going to get baptized today because they were doing a, a call up at the end of the service. So my parents had no idea that was coming, but they were like, okay, go for it. So I walked up, got baptized as a seven-year-old. Uh, and then for me, it was just a lot of involvement in the church from then on. So I was going to every camp and I, I think my faith grew a ton during those years when I was in high school I because I had a pretty strong community and our youth group was was great. And uh, really, I graduated high school and then started working at a church the next week and didn't stop working at a church until like four years ago when I was like 38. So it was like 20 straight years of being employed by a church, whether part-time or full-time. Um that's a long time. And then four years ago, um, we had, my wife and I, Heidi, had our fourth little one on the way. And at that point, I was a pastor at a large church in Sioux Falls and just feeling like it was time for me to do something different. I just was feeling like my priorities were off. My family was definitely not first in, in my life. And with a fourth little one on the way, I was just feeling like it was time to try something new and kind of not simplify my life, but reprioritize my life. And now it's been a four year journey of like crazy growth in ways that I never expected and probably never would have chosen. I mean, at the time too. So like stepping away from a church job where you feel so sure about everything into something where you're unsure about everything and um, unsure of your connection to the community that you had grown so close to and, new role among friends and all that was just, uh, I just really didn't know what I was getting myself into, but I just knew I needed to walk into that. And so now looking back four years later, I feel like the last four years are probably the most influential years of my life, spiritually speaking. Uh, and it came by not being employed at a church. And so that to me is uh, a huge gift. And once again, I just had no idea what I was walking into, but so I have a lot, I've learned a lot and you can hold me accountable is like, I don't want to come across as being jaded or like, I don't want to throw stones. I don't, I, that's never been my attitude, but I also want to be honest about my experience because that's what I have to go by. I don't have anything else to go by. And so I hope I, I hope I say everything with grace. I don't want to come across as being angry about anything. It's just more like learning and growth and trying to help show something better. Even in that moment when I was pretty worn out and feeling pretty empty, like I still didn't want to come across that way, even in that time. So that's a little bit what I'm most nervous about is just people taking me the wrong way and thinking my motivations are negative when really I'm just trying to be helpful. That's helpful just to hear. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Um, I guess like segueing into that, the reason 
So Esther and I both separately read this Facebook post, and that's kind of something we would we wanted to bring you on to unpack a little bit. You were speaking truth in a way that was so humble and so kind. It like blew me away. I was like, here's someone who is like walk through something and they feel this wrestle like I need to say something, but you're you did it with like such integrity while also speaking the truth of things that need to be said. I mean, Esther, you can speak to your own experience, but for me, I just was like, yes, you're not throwing an axe anywhere. You are just you're pointing out the things that need to be said. And so I'm wondering for people that, could you unpack that, what you wrote a little bit? Yeah. Well, first of all, yeah, it took me four years to feel like I could say something without, again, it comes down to like, I'm, I worry that when I, when you critique, that people are just going to disregard you because you have an agenda against something. And in our world today, too, I just feel like there's just so much divisiveness around that I just don't want to, I don't want to foster that in other people. So like, I want to be careful to help show something better without making it sound like I don't like this. And now all of a sudden I found this great new thing. And really, like, that's not helpful either, because that's just all about me and my perspective and just everything, I, whatever I'm currently into is the thing. Well, that can't be, the, that can't be the truth. Like there's like there needs to be validation for everybody's experiences beyond my own. But I just felt like as I was looking back to the last four years, and again, a lot happened outside of my control either in the last four years as well. You know, we went through a global pandemic, which was very difficult. I mean, going through a global pandemic was very isolating and I'm sure everybody felt a sense of community dissolving around them. And so that was probably a catalyst to what I was already kind of starting to feel anyway. So I would say the last four years probably would be divided into two chapters in my mind. The first one was stepping away from being a pastor, a full-time pastor and my, the reality of how I felt stepping out of that role was something I couldn't deny. It was more than just burnout. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm just exhausted. It was like a total lack of identity. Like, I don't know what I, who I am outside of this. So like, it's a weird thing, you know, you'd think you'd want to hold on to the thing that's giving you identity, but it was like, I can't do this because it just doesn't feel right. But I also don't know who I am outside of this. So it was like a real feeling of like, I don't like, how the heck did I get here? Ultimately, that's what I had to ask myself because there was moments even I'd be on stage and I'm like, I'm not sure I believe this thing I'm praying right now, but I. I'm just doing it because that's what's required of me. And it wasn't and it wasn't necessarily doubt focused at the time. It was more like I came in to be to a full-time ministry feeling so connected and so alive and so I mean spiritually alive. And then I left feeling like the opposite kind of. And the church I went was at, of course, like it went through a really hard time, so that's a part of it too, but I again, it was just like this deep loss of identity. And that's how God works. And I always knew as a pastor, like I'm seeing very little of the activity that God is doing on this planet. But then when I was all of a sudden in a new role, I was like, oh, I don't, is this true? Like, is this, is this true for me? Uh, so I just felt like I was uh, desperate for a sense of purpose uh, and feeling like I have to like go do something to fulfill that purpose. Because that was the equation I had lived by for 10 straight years of like, 
my value is tied up into what I produce and how hard I work for God. And, and it, when things are going well, there's nothing to challenge that, and it all works. And then all of a sudden, one day, you don't have it in you to do that, and you're like, okay, well, does that, what does that mean? Like, like the equation didn't work for me anymore. And again, I never doubted God. I never doubted Jesus' story and what he taught. Like, I loved God. I loved all of that. It was just more like, this equation doesn't work. I can't produce things for God my whole life at this level because I'm an empty shell of myself. And so that got me started on kind of a path of like, what does what is like a healthier practice for me look like? And that's really the ultimate question. It wasn't like this model sucks. I, you know, this now like everybody needs to go away from that. Cause it served me for like six, seven, eight years. Like I had some great, great experiences. So like, but in the end, like I go back to that equation of like, I need to work hard and produce for God was like a, not an equation that worked for my life. And as I look back now, I start to, I mean, I think I realized that like, maybe that's more of like a Western world mindset where like our value to society is based on our, how much we produce for our society and how hard of a worker we are. That's very much an American ideal. And I think there's a lot of that that's creeped into the church that this hardworking mentality is, again, a noble thing in our culture. But as when you really flesh it out and push it to its, to its, to its extreme, it's kind of the opposite of the gospel. As I understand the gospel, I've, to me it feels like the gospel is like, hey, before you did anything, you are loved. And, but yet we operate a different way a, a lot of times. You know, we we think we have to continue to like live up to the standard or something that, you know, that Jesus did for us. It's like now we need to live these lives that are worthy of all of that. Well, I don't know. Like I found it to be not helpful in my life over the long run. And so the question I had to got for God was like, I God, I need to know that if I don't do a thing for you the rest of my life, that you still love me. And that, that equation needed to be true. And so that, that was more like, okay, well, if God is, is who he says he is and his love is as extravagant as he says that it is, then I need to like stop working so damn hard and trying to please him. And if, if I can still have this sense of closeness to God, despite my lack of effort, then I'm still in the game. Like I'm still willing to like dig deeper and seek who God is. And... So that was kind of the beginning, chapter one of my journey. Chapter two probably was, oh man, I really don't want to get divisive by any means, but like the pan, like the pandemic was like really hard on everybody, and I just really realized that uh, I was my wife and I were in the midst of circles that did not view things the same way we did. We were very cautious, and I felt like. Again, I don't, I don't want to get into stuff that's really divisive, theologically speaking, but I just, we, my wife and I just felt like it was a good time to submit to others and submit to the medical professionals who can claim to be experts during that time. And it felt like we were in some circles that felt the exact opposite, and that was really confusing for me as a follower of Jesus. Um, and, it, and it wasn't even that they were, like, just interpreting God and Scripture a different way. It was like... 
they just were taking their social ideal ideologies and then claiming that as scripture. Yeah, that is really alienating for us too. Cause that was like our circle that had already shrunk quite a bit after chapter one in, my, in our journey. And then chapter two was like, oh gosh, like I don't even know who like our friends are anymore, you know? And that feels horrible. Like it's not like we were claiming these people not as friends anymore, but like we, you physically couldn't get together with people to even have the conversations to get yourselves a sense of unity back. It was like getting together to even talk through it was impossible. So that was like another, a deeper sense of like our community was like really shriveling around us. So Hey guys, Dr. Beth and Dr. Esther here to tell you about a really cool opportunity we have coming up with people who see local to Sioux Falls. We are launching spirituality groups. <gasps> Esther, tell us more. We are so excited about these groups because for local Sioux Falls people, it is going to give you the opportunity to have a community you have been longing for in the midst of your deconstruction, reconstruction journey. So if you've been in the middle of big feelings and big questions and big doubts and you just need a safe space to process those and know that you are not alone in that join a spirituality group we would be so excited to have you all the information is in the link in the show notes so sign up today like hopefully christianity is a lot bigger and more universal in terms of like there needs to be an opportunity for everybody to be able to approach and have a home um, without just having to conform to what you see around you because I was feeling like to conform around me, at least the groups I was in, didn't feel like a healthy spot to be. And so that's where I've, that post I made was specifically about Richard Rohr and the book, The Universal Christ, which it helped me a ton. It helps give me permission to think about theology differently and to realize, and to remember that what we have as like the social, um, the norms in the Midwest, that's, those are just the social norms in the Midwest. And this is just like what theology looks like kind of around here, but there's like a lot more out there and, mm -hmm. and it's all included. And so it, that was just what I needed to be able to explore some different trains of thought and some people who maybe validated a little bit more of what I was feeling like God was trying to say during some of that, like during 2020 and those hard years there. Um, so yeah, I found Richard Rohr just through listening to some different podcasts and huge shout out to Joel Fredrickson, who's a pastor in Sioux Falls because Joel and I met. <gasps> Two-time podcast guest, Joel Fredrickson. Two-timer. Two-timer. <laughs> so he and I got together and he was somebody that like, I just trust. And I, we had, we had theology classes together at US, University of Sioux Falls and like he's just somebody I got together with and was just recapping and rehashing stuff. Cause I'm like, Joel, I trust you. I know that you, you are very open to having open discussions and nothing's going to scare him. So we just chatted through some stuff and many, many, many hours of chatting on my deck while we were like watching birds and whatnot. This is that started my obsession with birds because I, I kind of live a little bit outside of Sioux Falls, like just two miles southeast, and there's a bunch of trees near our house, and I'm realizing how spoiled I am with birds. I had no idea moving in there, but jo Joel helped me see that I 
Um, I have riches that I don't even realize that are there <laughs> by the amount of birds that, that he was pointing out to me. Joel, Joel helped you see a lot of things, it sounds like. I know. I felt like I need to apologize to him because, uh, because I'm such a novice. And like I was seeing birds that he's like, I've never seen one of those before. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't deserve it. I don't deserve this. <laughs> don't deserve this. You gift. deserve all the birds, Chris. All of them. Thank you. You deserve every single obscure bird out no, there. No, but we need to earn. We have to, we have to produce and earn to oh, get those gifts, what, don't we? I think that's what Jesus said. Whoa. In the <laughs> Even the birds wow. of hell, you must earn. <laughs> yes, I, it's a little yeah. sermon for you by yeah. Dr. Nissen. <laughs> right. So, so anyway, Richard Rohr and some others like in that line of thought, like has really been a home for me. And I'm not saying it's the be all end all either, but it's given me a lot of peace and I'll, being able to kind of like love myself again. And I think what I put in that post too is like, I, I'm not out to like change anybody's theology. Like if they're happy where they're at, great. I, and I, cause it's, again, I had times in my life where I was practicing things differently and it served me really well. We had great times, but so I'm like, there's an acceptance to the ups and downs of life and where you're at for the time being is great for you. And if it's not, then like, be honest about it. Like, that's what I feel like is my biggest gift that I can receive from other people nowadays. It's like your honesty means more to me than uh, your conformity to the group, you know, like I'd rather have somebody be honest about how you're feeling because there's just so much value in being open about, about those things. And, and now it's like, as a person who's felt like what it's like to be an outsider, I feel like I can just relate a lot more. And so that's where it's just like, I wouldn't have chosen this journey going into it, but now that I've been through it, it's like, I, now I can actually feel like I, and again, like I know I'm just feeling like a taste of what it means, but until you actually sit in that position and you feel like maybe you don't belong, I just, I'm not sure you can fully understand the viewpoint of another person who says they don't belong. And that's where I feel like it's a gift, even though it sucks, <laughs> like it's a gift to feel like I at least have a sample of what it means to not belong somewhere. And that was more like my ambition behind the post that if I can help remind people that they do belong, even if they feel like they're on the outside, like that's a gift. And I want to be a, like a part of that. And I just want to say thank you for sharing your story because everything that I hear you saying is just giving voice to so many people. Like, I'm not even, I'm sure you know, because when you shared that post on Facebook, there were just dozens and dozens of comments and shares and likes and, and all of these people in a chorus saying, me too. But you're just giving voice to so many of these, like, feelings behind this story like the feelings of loneliness and the feeling of the loss of community and the feeling of I don't know who's still going to be here on the other side of this journey the feeling of like I don't know who safe companions are or if I'm gonna scare them away with my honesty like 
I just, I just want to say thank you. <laughs> thank you for sharing. And I, there's so many questions I want to ask you. I think we share your desire to sort of not sit in what was wrong, but to sort of look forward and to look towards rebuilding. Because I think yeah. as much as it's valuable to to talk about what went wrong, it seems like you have found, like you said, a Christianity that is a lot bigger than what you had seen. So I guess my question is, what have you learned about God and about yourself in this process that has shown you a faith that is, is bigger than what you had known. Yeah. I think what I've found again, I, I, I'm just going to keep going back to Richard Rohr as kind of just like, he's just been my teacher the last couple of years because I've been just, I don't read super fast anyway. So it's not like I can, I'm the t not the type of person that can absorb a ton of content all at once. And I'm reading a book every week kind of, per, I'm, that's just not me. Like I need to sit on things. And what I think I've, realized through studying specifically Franciscanism. And again, like I know that's just what another branch of the huge tree, but it honestly, like I feel like it resonated with me more. And it wasn't just like the safe landing spot from this other one. It was more like, gosh, I probably have agreed with this branch of Christianity forever. I just never had the language around it. So here's some here's some things that I feel like I've learned that have resonated with maybe what I've felt for a long, long time, but just never really took the time to kind of flesh out. Plus, I was in like, again, being a part of an evangelical church, like the best things that they bring to the community is this like push to be out there and to be with people and and that's amazing. It's like so needed. And obviously like if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not trying to focus on uh, other people and needs, like you're not, I mean, you're missing out on some great things in the walk of faith, but, um, but also too, like we were growing so fast and we just, we were not sitting around having theology conversations and trying to de like decipher what, what we believed and what we didn't believe like that just what it just wasn't the emphasis. And so through that though, I always felt like a, I was a little bit maybe of an oddball within the community because I always felt like there were times like, for example, in like 2016, I think the Supreme court made like a national rule, like uh, allowing gay marriage across the country. We had an immediate powwow like the next day because they were just trying to be prepared to just handle conversations that possibly would come because again, in, in Midwestern culture, people are on high alert for figuring out where the boundaries are and, and therefore maybe figuring out who's in and who's out. Like that's probably the negative result of people who are hyper-focused on the boundaries. I've just never really been that way. I like, I don't, to me, everybody's truly welcome and affirmed in my, in my personal opinion. And that's, I knew I'm a, a little bit of an oddball because I was probably the one person in the conversation that's like, okay, if we're supposed to like handle every person with grace and truth, like I know 
Christians like to make that extra jump a lot where it's like, no, this is the truth. I'm just, I'm like, I don't know that it is like there it's the truth is I believe truth is out there and we need to be after it, but I'm going to be very late to the game and deciding like, this is the truth. Because when you'd make that decision and you put up that boundary and it's like, here's the line, that's a strong statement that inevitably oftentimes leaves a lot of people out. And I just, uh, I'm just not that type. Like I'm not going to be quick to jump that to that line at all. And so I was like, if I need to err on the side of grace and truth, well, I'm not really sure on truth all the time. Like I want to know and have that discussion, but I'm not like going to make declarations. I'd rather stay on the side of grace. And if that's a mistake, I can handle that mistake. If God get to heaven and God's like, Hey, you probably were like, we're too easy on people. <laughs> okay. I can live with that versus the opposite where it's like, Hey, you like, you drew the line way too close. Like I'm a God of love. And that means like, if you know that, that I expect God, God's love to floor me whenever I get to heaven. Like if it's not, if it doesn't floor me with its extravagance, then to me, it like that's my version of love, which is inevitably inevitably going to fall short. And so, like that's my hope that I'm just like floored by who God shows Himself to be, and the people that He included that everybody else excluded. And I just want to be a part of the including group. Like I'd rather err on that side. Once and here's another life lesson for me that out of that too, like my younger brother is gay. He came out in like as a 25 year old, probably, what would that be? 10 or 12 or 13 years ago. And I think whenever you have a human being in your life that you love, but they also have like these, like, again, people drawing lines and having social ideals. And when you don't have somebody in your life that you love that represents the opposite side, it's very easy to draw lines. As soon as you have a person that's close to you that you love, you will find very quickly it's very hard to draw lines because there's always hope for another human being. And that, I mean, and that goes with race relations, that goes with whatever ideals that you have out there that people are trying to draw lines, this political ideals, like if you have a person's face sitting across from you that represents the opposite thing, I just don't, I, I think everybody's human and it's going to be way harder to draw a line. And for me, I'm like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I want to know that like my brother doesn't need to do anything different to be loved by God. And yeah. And if I get crucified for that, <laughs> like, so be it, you know, maybe, maybe the group needs to be a little bit more loving. Guys, if you're listening, of course you are, and your heart just pitter-pattered with joy as you heard about our sweet Joel Fredrickson walking alongside his friend, Chris, through all his doubts and his questions about faith. Guess what? We have our very own Dr. Esther Nissen, who can walk with you on your journey of faith. Esther, tell us about it. Wow. What a softball you lobbed my way, Beth. (laughs) Here's the good news, everyone. We offer one-on-one spiritual direction with me, Dr. Esther, and I am here to walk with you on your journey of faith, to sit with you in your doubts and your questions and the wrestle with you with the nuances and tensions of faith. 
So if you want me to be the Joel Fredrickson to your Chris Haugen, <laughs> sign up today. <laughs> I just, I love what I'm hearing. Even as you were talking, like, when you love someone, right? Like, and you didn't say this exactly, but you like, your theology inevitably begins to change, right? Because you are faced also, did you listen to Joel's episode before it came out? (laughs) Sounds like you did. (laughs) But when (laughs) when you sit in front of someone, you can't help but let that form you and change you. And I would say, when you love yourself, love someone extravagantly. Because I would say people are like, oh, I love someone, but it's like, no, but do you love with all of you? Like, even as you were saying how much God, like, I'm just floored by like this theme of what I'm hearing you say is that like God's love is so for you on such a deep level, is so for everyone on such a deep level that literally we could sit in a cow on a couch and eat potato chips and got for the rest of our lives and God would love us just as much than if we tried to achieve and i just i feel like i'm hearing this theme in what you're saying is like the receiving of this extravagant love and like pushing it out onto others i think when you feel it for real and again it took me going through something difficult and having to pull out of the group so to speak to feel like I need that when you're in the group and you're safe. At least my experience was it's like I never really had a desperate need to for, for that because I was feeling the love of everybody else around me. I had full acceptance of people in my life. I, I, I did my job at church really well, I think. And I was liked by the people around me. So like when things are going well in your life, like you, I, I got, you feel God's love through other people and through all, all things. I, I totally believe that. But like, until you suffer, I don't know if you fully grasp a suffering Jesus yeah. and the love that he, that he like showed. And that to me goes back again, when you asked like unpacking how I feel like I've grown theologically speaking. So I think the thing that, I've learned was that I used to be a worship leader and worship music is very, has very strong language towards a lot of atonement theories, like, like the blood of Christ washing over me or, you know, God paid my debt, all these dramatic images of God doing something for me that I couldn't do for myself and pulling me out of a pit. And, and I, as I look at that, I realized that I was carrying a lot of shame in me from years and years and years of kind of letting some probably unhealthy atonement theories creep into my worldview. Because I guess what I feel like I've learned now is like, those have just been unhelpful for me. Because for me, when you really are living out and having an atonement theory mindset toward the world, it's hard, it's hard to reconcile a God who, like Jesus, pure love, like I never questioned if Jesus loved me. But I always kind of had it in the back of my mind that God the Father kind of wanted to, like, kick me to hell. And it took Jesus to, like, save him from that. And that, to me, it's like, I, I think I let that in. And, and that causes a lot of shame, in my opinion, or at least that's my experience. Because if, if you feel like God was that close to annihilating all of humankind, but it took, a, like, the killing of another human being, a perfect person, 
to keep him from killing you, but then you're supposed to believe that he like also loves you now. That just doesn't, it's not a really great picture of love because like as a parent, I wouldn't like, that's, that's not even healthy from like a human standard. How can we like live under that as like a divine standard of what, what love looks like? And so I think calling that out finally and like letting that go has like helped me like not feel the sense of shame that I'm like killing Jesus all the time with not living up to like his standards, especially after I stepped out of being a pastor. Like, of course, somebody who like maybe had a little bit of that theology in them, like, well, now I'm not even working at the church. Like, God, I better work extra hard to make sure I stay like pure for you or whatever. And so anyway, like now understanding that like more of a, like Richard Rohr's teaching on that would be that Jesus's death on the cross is more of a symbol of God incarnate in this earth, living with us and experiencing suffering and pain with us. So it's an act of, it's more of an act of solidarity and unity with us than it is a payment for some kind of cost that was owed. That to me is a way more beautiful and biblical view of, of what Christ's death on the cross means. And it actually was helpful in a time of my life when I felt like I was hurting to actually fully know that Jesus, Jesus's act was like an act of suffering and unity with me so that when I too am feeling pain, like God is in that with me. So like, that's just like the whole incarnational worldview of like God's in it all with you, feeling it all. And like, you're never separated from him. That's just more of a beautiful picture of love in my opinion. So that's one way I think to answer your question, Esther, that I feel like I've grown the last few years is figuring out what theologies have been helpful and which ones haven't been. Well, cause I love, I love so much of what you're saying, because again, you are giving voice to so many things that I have felt and that I know other people have felt of just this feeling of like this theology that I learned can't be right. Like it feels gross. It feels wrong. It, it, it's not something I would want from human love. So why should I think that this is the epitome of divine love? But we, like you said, we just don't have the language and we don't know that Christianity is bigger. And so we don't know that there are people within Christianity and within Orthodoxy that agree with what we are saying when we say things are kind of gross. And I just love that like this idea that, yeah, you learn theologies when you go to school or go to church or whatever it is. But then once you live and that theology sort of bumps up against your real life and it becomes untenable, it's okay to stop and rethink that theology if it is untenable with like the everyday stuff of your life if it isn't something that can be incarnated in your life it's okay for that to change mm -hmm. right and to not worry that you're disappointing a bunch of people again going back to like how how strong community biases are especially in the church because the church has become such a group of like we need to hold to these truth standards and if like questioning one means the whole thing can come down. So you better not question even a single one. It's just like, that's, 
that's just not realistic for any human being. Like any human being who's honest with themselves, like you need to learn and and each one of those needs to like develop in you over time through experience. You can't just claim it as an intellectual truth and then just expect it all to be good. Like, so I just feel like there's probably a lot of people on the inside of the church who are just intellectually conceding to a lot of things, but maybe haven't fully like been honest with themselves and worked those things out. Uh, cause it, cause it's scary too, because you don't want to go against the group. You don't want to like seem like you're not all in, you know, because, which is another thing too, like I, as I look and actually read more about Christianity's roots and like what Jesus and see, and see Jesus teaching through a new lens. I know I've said this before, even as a pastor, but now I feel it. It's like Jesus didn't come back to create a new club for everybody to join. That's just equal and opposite to all the other clubs that are out there. Cause I think a lot of Western Christianity has this mindset toward like going out and changing the world and like converting Hindu people and Islamic people. And like, because like everybody's going to hell if they don't switch over to Christianity. And I'm like, well, if Christianity is just playing the same game, then like, what's it really worth? You know, then really the reality is, is like, I just got lucky enough to be born on this side of the planet in the quote unquote right group. If that's all it comes down to, well, that also kind of makes God a little bit of like a, you know, hey, sorry, you grew up in India. Like, you're going to hell unless like, like, a you know, really well-intentioned Christian from the Western side of the planet comes to like convert you. Like, that just doesn't seem like a game of love that God would play. So like, when you look at what an incarnational worldview actually is, to me, it's just way more beautiful than I ever saw Christianity to be before. So if Jesus is the example of what human incarnation looks like. And if what he really was teaching was that the whole freaking thing from the beginning was the incarnate expression of God from the beginning of creation 14 and a half billion years ago, like, well, then that like creates a whole lot more meaning for every person that's lived on the planet ever before Jesus and after. And the goal is to understand and come alive in what Jesus is teaching so that you can like, live on this planet in a healthy way, not to just join the club and just call it good. And so for me, it's like seeing things in an incarnational worldview. Like, I feel like I love people way more now than I ever did. Like I've helped people in my current job. Like I've helped people of different faiths. I've like talked with a, a Muslim couple. We had ended up having them over for a bonfire at our house and act, to actually like just befriend people without an agenda. Shocker. Like that just feels like love, Shocker. doesn't it? Befriend without an agenda, Chris. <laughs> it just feels like love. Like, and they have just as much to teach me as I do them. And it's not about my theology being better. It's about like, how are we living? And are you tapping into how creation was designed in the first place? And what you grew up with, like, I can learn from that and hopefully you can learn from me too, but it's not about, I don't know, it's less about converting anybody to anything. And it's more about like trying to tap into like what this creation was designed to do and be in the first place. And if it was out of love, like I'm all about that. Befriend without an agenda and see what God will do. Like, and who knows where the spirit will lead when we are friends 
and are in relationship without an agenda. That feels like a revolutionary statement. Like, yeah. You know, like. Well, and it seems so obvious. I mean, maybe like. the answer <laughs> to world domination. <laughs> Not domination. Oh, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Peace. No. World peace. We're, world peace. <laughs> world domination for peace. There it is. <laughs> the WDFP, I, everybody. <laughs> world. <laughs> it's our new initiative. It's Please, can we keep this in the episode? The WDFP is our new organization we're starting. No, so this has been incredible. And I just want to say thank you again for for sharing this beautiful vision because I know in my little heart of hearts that this is hitting people so deeply and it is resonating so deeply and they are resonating with the feelings you had four years ago, and they are inspired by the vision of love that you are painting right now. And the difficult thing is that we know there is not a formula where you can say, and now here are your four simple steps to go on a spiritual journey like Chris Haugen. Um, and we, we reject those four simple steps because we know that it is a journey and that it is long and so and stumbling and but in light of all that what would you have to say to Billy Bob who's listening and this is resonating so deeply and their heart is hurting but they're hopeful and they want to rebuild what would you say to them I would say have you ever heard of the Romans road <laughs> oh my just teasing what, how many steps is that? I don't know if we've ever laughed this much on an episode. <laughs> Four. It, I don't know. It's maybe too many steps. Sorry. It's, yeah, Romans are too complex. Um, I think for me, like, honestly, I didn't, I didn't, like, I, I've struggled. Honestly, I, overall, I've, I mean, I've struggled with the word deconstruction because I feel like what I've gone through feels just more like this is just one, uh, what honest faith looks like. Frame, wow. frame that. Uh-huh. Frame that. That's our quote. Okay, we found our quote for the episode. We say it again for the people in the back. <laughs> I think this is just what honest faith looks like. And because to me, it's just like, it's so funny because the church today, they wrap so much up into being certain about everything. And you need to make sure to know that you know that you know. Mm-hmm. When in reality, like, faith is... Like, that's not what a, fa- a walk of faith looks like. Oftentimes for me, faith has been like, well, I don't know, and I'm uncertain, yeah. but I'm like still curious, and I'm willing to entertain those curiosities and try to figure out what this is going to look like moving forward. Like, that's what that's what a faith walk needs to look like. And so for Billy Bob, who's having some feels, I would say, first of all, kudos for being honest with yourself. Like, that's the biggest gift that you can possibly give yourself. Second of all is, like, if you're having some discrepancies in what you think is true and what you're seeing practiced, dig into that because there's probably some truth there. Like, truth in the fact that, like, what you're seeing is not probably helpful or perfect or it's not the way that it needs to be done. There's plenty of other ways to to do things and practice things. And if this particular version isn't doesn't make sense to you it's okay to like 
try something new and explore something different. Like it doesn't mean you're, it doesn't mean you're turning your back on Jesus. Uh, because I think a lot of people in the churches would, would indirectly make you probably feel that way, but it's like, no, you're being honest. And if God is who he says he is, he's like, of course, he's going to be there with you through, through that process. And even if it feels dark and you haven't gone to church for two years and you haven't read the Bible for even longer and like what all the little things that church has made it up to be, like, it's okay. It's like, you don't need to perform. Like, just be honest. And the sooner you're honest, the more growth you're probably going to see. Thank you so much for listening. Do you have or know of a story that needs to be heard? Keep the conversation going by following us on Facebook or Instagram and sharing this conversation with someone else who needs to be a part of it. Or if you're like Beth and social media isn't your thing, you can visit our website, peoplewhosee.com. Be sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And if you loved an episode, rate, review, and share. Your support ensures that more stories are being heard and more questions are being asked.